so I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders to kind of dig deep and to find the gems, to find individuals who have these innovative ideas, who are interested in taking risks but don't know how to craft their idea, who see something up or downstream in the workflow that could be tweaked to make it more efficient or effective. And so as leaders, we have to get to know our people and we can't rely on our leaders to do that. We actually have to open the doors and invite people to come in and talk and share and challenge. This episode is brought to you by the good people over at Current Lighting, and I'm excited to share with you a little more about them. Current Lighting actually blends LED lighting with digital networks to make commercial buildings and industrial facilities more energy efficient and productive. Now, over at Current, inspiration actually flows both ways in providing the lighting and control solutions that help create beautiful, functional, and safe environments. They're inspired by the people who live, work, and play in those spaces. With the convergence of two iconic leaders, GE Current, a Daintree company, and the CNI division of Hubble Lighting, who each bring rich histories and deep talent, Current is actually uniquely positioned to help customers solve complex challenges and see results. Only Current can provide reliable performance, responsive service, and the uncompromising quality that you expect from an industry leader every time, always. They align everything they do around purpose, mission, and values. And it's not just words or posters on the walls in their offices. It's who they are and how they operate to exceed their customers' expectations. Go check them out at CurrentLighting.com. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. And welcome back to Lead the Team. Today I have for you Courtney Abraham, the Chief Human Resource Officer over at Current Lighting. Current is a new brand that unites GE Current, a Daintree company, and the CNI division of Hubble Lighting Incorporated. Courtney has 25 years of experience beginning on the revenue-producing side of businesses. Then she made a hard right turn into human resources with experience at GE Current, AML, RightSource, the Adeco Group, and Southeastern Grocers. Courtney's lived all over the U.S. and had an expat assignment in Zurich, Switzerland. Courtney, welcome to the show. Ben, thank you for having me. Pleasure. So, so I got to start out by asking you, what is an experienced junkie? <laughs> I love it. So I think my life is a combination of a whole host of um, activities and interests, and I go for the experience. So what may hold me back or hold others back, mm. I may say yes to. And so if it's something mm. I haven't done before, if it takes me outside of my comfort zone, if it expands me or teaches me something, I typically say yes. And so I chase the experience. All right. So what's one of the most memorable experiences that you've said yes to? Oh, my goodness. To be honest, probably moving overseas. Uh, it was a wonderful opportunity to 
do something really different. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're a blended family. So I have stepchildren and then we have an adopted daughter. And so it, we have crazy interests across different age groups. And um, my daughter was born in Colombia, South America. So I thought, you know what, why not? Once we brought her back to the States, why not pick another continent? And so from a cultural perspective, to be able to live in Switzerland and then travel. So for anyone who lives overseas, it is super easy. There's trains, there's planes that go everywhere. It is, you know, you can get to multiple countries in a day. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the states where, you know, you drive from New York to Pennsylvania to Ohio, you're still in the car, right? (laughs) You haven't gone anywhere yet. So I think just the opportunity to live overseas and to say yes to a whole host of adventures was great. So you relocated your family, uprooted Mm -hmm. them from, they were here in the U.S. Yes. Right. And say, hey, y'all, we're going to Switzerland. We Uh, traded flip-flops. We were living in Florida. We traded those flip-flops for ski boots. We went to the Alps. It was fantastic. The big kids only, so they were on their own, right? So the big kids were out of the house, but they came to visit. And the little, hey, doesn't get any better than learning how to downhill ski, you know, in Switzerland. How do you believe that doing an expat assignment, how, how do you believe that that impacted your leadership perspective? In so many ways. (laughs) Let me count them. Uh, It's really interesting. As an American, we are provided or afforded so many opportunities that I think we take for granted. It's the grocery store with endless products that are constantly provided as choices. It's the ability to travel state to state, whether you want to go to a national park or you want to be in a city and pick up a show and go to a great restaurant. We have all of these things that, honestly, I've taken for granted. And so when we moved overseas and we lived in a German and French and Italian-speaking country where, yes, English was spoken a little bit, but primarily not the first language, um, we had to relearn everything. Hmm. Hmm. It was, honestly, probably nine months of living in Switzerland when I stepped off the train one day and thought, I didn't learn anything new today. And it Mm -hmm. was like Mm -hmm. an epiphany of, oh my gosh, am I finally being comfortable? And am I finally getting it? Um, The answer was no, I didn't. I learned something the following day. But the nuances Mm -hmm. and the cultural norms um, are so very different. And to start over as an adult, when you have a, a pattern of behaviors and a way you like to do things, that was thrown out the window. It was something as simple as, um, where we lived in, in our canton in Zurich, you couldn't take the garbage out after a certain time or on a certain day. You mm. couldn't flush your toilet after a certain hour. So there were all of wow. these rules and guidelines that we had to learn that never in a hundred years did we think we would have to learn, but it was really, really different. Well, wow. so why couldn't you flush your toilet after a certain hour? Was the um, respect, respect to your neighbors and respect to the building. Yes. Yes. Wow. So I think from a leadership (laughs) perspective, right, because you're constantly learning so many things that are new, it puts you in a position of of just looking at others who are also experiencing newness or trying on, you know, different patterns and different behaviors and sorting out who they are. And so it gave me a great appreciation for take nothing for granted ask a ton of questions 
and be a much better listener than I had been in the past. Hmm. I'm really glad you said that last statement, become a better listener, because I, I agree with international travel that your power of your powers of observation kick up tenfold. And you don't even have to really be trying that hard because everything's so new. And if you're not listening and you're not observing, it just becomes a massively frustrating experience. And eventually you're kind of forced to do that. I can remember travel, traveling to Asia several times and having a similar experience where, uh, man, I, I don't speak the language. The signs are in a completely different alphabet. It's like, it's just a completely different experience. And so I began to observe more carefully what people were doing so I could essentially survive getting around town. Uh, you, you know, what, a, what an amazing experience. So, um, that expat decision sounds like it was a pretty big move in your career. Uh, did you, is this something that you'd envisioned for your life? Like this is sort of my fast track. Like this is what I do as an executive or is this sort of just a, an adventure that you stepped into <laughs> more? I think a combination thereof in all honesty. Um, I've been a member of a consulting group. And we did a lot of international um, clients. And so I had the opportunity to travel, but not to live overseas. Uh, and so living there and taking the opportunity, it was a global role. So I traveled, I think, the first year, 28 countries. Talk about humbling, right? Learning, cool. learning constantly. Yeah. Um, what it made me do is reflect on who I was as an individual and as a leader. And so it helped me sharpen my skills. It helped me understand, listen, you have to appreciate the PNL and you have to be able to talk to the business leaders on the ground about what's important right then in their business, in their country. And from an HR perspective, you've got to be in tune with what the labor market is, where the talent is or not. Um, mm -hmm. And so it just forced me to, to be, in all honesty, become better right at my craft and to do a ton more reading and conversation to learn uh, what was relevant at the moment. Well, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So, so let's go there. 28 countries and you're not just any role, you're, you're HR, right? So you've mm -hmm. got to know, like you say, the local, like what's going on locally, what what is your process or what was your process for keeping up with what in the world is going on in the world locally? Because I suspect you're not reading 28 newspapers, hopefully. <laughs> Figure that <laughs> out. Not yeah. so, and, so, well, so what's and, your approach to keeping up with it all? To be honest with you, really good relationships. Um, so what I learned early on was the people in the local countries knew so much more than I did. Um, and I wanted to be value add. I didn't want my visit to be, you know, pomp and circumstance by any stretch, you know, being the head of talent management globally, I was there to provide services and solutions to help them get better. And so I did my best to build those local, local relationships to, um, to absolutely subscribe to all of the information I could from a financial times perspective or what was happening from a labor relations perspective. Um, thankfully, you know, I was with the DECO group. And so, it, you know, number one back then, number one workforce solutions provider, they had a plethora of information at the fingertips. So I took <laughs> That's advantage. That's our business. We can handle this. Yeah. Yeah. I took advantage of that. But I think, you know, 
regardless of where we are, so fast forward to today, mm-hmm. um, having the opportunity to do something as simple as go um, still in North America to Quebec, right? It's understanding it's a different labor market. So what is happening on the ground there is relevant and important. And you just, you need to stay sharp in order to participate in the conversation. I really like that. And so let let the record show today in the podcast, this is an important thing for leaders. I rarely, so someone maybe is listening like, Ben, you know, I've got a hundred person company and all of our customer, you know, we don't have international offices, but you probably have international suppliers or you have international customers. And when you go the extra mile to understand what's going on for them locally, it makes a huge difference in your conversations and, and building rapport. We do a lot of training around the globe a lot of times it's done virtually and there's one sort of our larger it customer uh that we have or we do coaching course and training in asia in india in the us and europe and it was so fascinating to be working with all them and they're all experiencing the pandemic very differently Uh, the seriousness of where the outbreaks were what was going on and uh relying on Google alerts for their home markets and having that information sent automatically because there's nothing worse than starting a conversation with someone and their local communities having a really hard time and you not being aware of it. You know, it's hard to build that trust otherwise. Well, let's, so before we go any further, let's sort of reach back in the Courtney files toward it all began. Uh, What was your first job? And how would you say um, that influences your leadership today? Ah, uh, very first job. Oh boy, um, had to do with chocolate. So my parents owned uh, uh, basically a house of chocolate. It was called Chez Chocolat. It was in a mall, um, which people actually went to back then. And they had full-time jobs right during the day. And this was their evening and their weekend um, adventure. And so they were serial entrepreneurs constantly into other things. And so as a young person, they would take me to the store with them, right? What we call the store. And so I learned um, truly about stocking. I learned about where we select our product from. Hmm. I learned about the importance of freshness. Um, I learned about the importance of not giving away the big lollipop to the screaming child, even though it was going to make that child happy, but it eroded profits. Um, I just learned so much, right? Um, And the pivot of the people that I worked with, they were all older than me. And here I was helping my mom and dad in the shop. Um, And, you know, to this day, I can put together a mean Easter basket, a great chocolate heart filled with you know, the Fantastic. best troubles in the world. <laughs> side benefit. Yes. Great. Oh, side benefit. Yeah. Uh, but it was about working with people. And so understanding mm. when someone was late, why? And what was the um, element that in- interfered with their life that prevented them from opening the shop on time? Or somebody who called off on a mm. Tuesday night. And we as a store, we would be fine, right, for not having the store opened. And so it really helped me understand people and human behavior. And I was watching, I was the observer in all of this, just taking it all in. And what I would say is that early experience gave me such a window into kind of being self-sufficient and running your business, but you cannot do anything without a fantastic group of individuals that you're surrounded with. 
Mm. I give my parents a ton of credit because they worked long hours and, and it, you know, holidays. And so they would drag us with them, but it was their demonstration of, well, we do this not necessarily for all the money that's in it, but they did it because they loved the business. And so that passion Mm. and that energy rang true and rang through. And I'll say, I probably eat more nuts now than I do chocolate as a result of that. <laughs> like I'm done with chocolate. Uh, I've had my fill of that. Uh, well, what an incredible experience. Um, and it's interesting how you had such a huge infusion of entrepreneur experiences, you know, as a child. And that's what, what I think when you, and so I'm assuming you were probably like, you ever heard conversations about money, about business, about the lease, about all the nuts and bolts of a business. And I think when you expose your child or you're exposed to the child to all of that, mm-hmm. it does form you and you understand the bigger business picture in a completely different way. Um, and you know, it's like, it's also like talking about the business and the bottom line to your team. I mean, is there anything worse than just like doing your job and not understanding how you actually impact the bottom line? I mean, that's something that I think a lot of people fall into. So for you, you, you went sort of the bigger company route. And I, I, I suspect, I'd be interested to your, your opinion on this, that having your entrepreneurial roots as a child and growing up in that gives you an advantage uh, in the corporate world. How do you see it? It's an interesting take. I've never not thought about it that way. What I will say is as a result of those early experiences, if I don't have a lot going on, I may create trouble. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's a different take right on what you said. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, good, good. But, Let's, but do I that. get bored super easy, right? Yeah. And so I think when you are in an entrepreneurial environment, you go after everything you can because you're trying to constantly innovate or create financial gain in different ways. Um, And so as a leader, yeah, Mm. right. As a leader today, Mm. if I don't have a ton of different opportunities to engage and to provide inside opinions or just thoughts about, um, I am not at my best. You want to be involved and engaged. Yeah. I, I like that. You know, and, and I can vouch for that. So I worked in in the corporate world, you know, for some pretty big Fortune 50 companies. And I really thought I was working really hard. And then once I went out on my own, I'm like, wow, this is this is even this is a lot more work than I thought I was doing. But the difference is when it's your business, right. it, it just seems like a part of your identity, which which has pros and cons. You know, it certainly and does. Hard it's to not, shut off. Right, sure. right. Hard to shut off. And so my journey has been to practice that. So sometimes I find ways like I have to play a lot of tennis because that distracts me from thinking about the business all the time. But I think leaders who are able to in the corporate world too, or people that you know work for me, I'm always thinking about that for them. Like, how can I make them more a part of this and feel more a part of it, even though I never expect them to work as hard as me because it's my <laughs> it's my business, uh, but I hope to foster some of that. And I think leaders, even a larger company like that, there's got to be a, a mental sort of switch that you can help foster in your team, or they feel a part of it. 
how, how does that resonate with you? Well, and I think, you know, that, the, that mental switch, what I am constantly trying to encourage, right, is mm-hmm. the relationship building. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. oftentimes in big companies, people, you can get lost, right? You can join an organization and work with your team or your small group and never kind of branch out into other areas. And so I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders to kind of dig deep and to find the gems, to find individuals who have these innovative ideas, who are interested in taking risks, but don't know how to craft their idea, who see something up or downstream in the workflow that could be tweaked to make it more efficient or effective. And so as leaders, we have to get to know our people and we can't rely on our leaders to do that. We actually have to open the doors and invite people to come in and talk and share and challenge. And one of the pieces, I think actually um, our CEO does it fantastically. He allows anyone to come forward and challenge the ideas that we have cooking at the present. And so obviously respectful, right? You would definitely want to deliver those messages respectfully, but it's a way that we stay sharp, that we're constantly Mm -hmm. learning and it creates a bit of empowerment, right? For employees, whether you're six days on the job or you're 20 years in the job, um, that opportunity and that avenue to have a voice. Yeah, we... Reminds me of an interview uh, a while back on the show with Nigel Travis, who's former CEO of Duncan Brands, and he has a book, sort of philosophy on challenge culture. Mm. And I, he really worked with the people inside the company and the people have the the Duncan franchises to constantly challenge uh, the leadership, and that that's a tough thing to foster because you can say it. You can say, "Hey, come on in," but yeah, you know, helping them and, and also transforming the mindsets of the uh, of, of people who have ha, who, who that's not been okay for in the past to, to start initiating that. If so, for people out there that have a, have a company or they have a team and they like and, and they see the benefit in that, like they want the fresh ideas, but that's not part of what they have in place today. It's not part of the culture what's a first step that you'd recommend that they take? Probably simple things like coffee and conversation, just engaging in dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. Invite folks to get to know you, invite folks to talk about a subject or a challenge that the company is experiencing and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, You may not find any great ideas in that moment, but you've planted a seed that, that will continue to grow. And so that employee, you know, two weeks later may see something and create a connection point that they didn't have previously. Or the leader mm-hmm. who's hosting the session may realize, oh my gosh, if I put these three people together, imagine what they can create. And so I think it's simple things like dialogue that mm-hmm. definitely initiate that. When's a time that you've seen this work well for a company? Mm-hmm. Often, actually, um, we are in the midst of integrating, right? So we purchased the CNI division of Hubble back in February. So we're eight months in, seven months in. Congratulations! Thank no, you. no small move there. <laughs> it's um, incredible, right? To 
to form an organization that is solely focused on commercial and industrial lighting and controls and not be part of something previous like Hubble and what GE had. Um, it's pretty incredible and exciting um, to be part of this, but it is not for the faint of heart. And so it's scary, right, for employees on both sides to join together um, to wonder, oh my gosh, am I going to be made redundant? Uh, are my processes going to change substantially? Who do I work for? How do I get direction? How am I going to be held accountable? Mm-hmm. All of those things, we have to do our best to answer and provide um, solutions or answers to in a timely fashion. But one of the, I think, great successes is bringing those teams together and to simply say, okay, so talk about what you do. Talk about how you do it. Talk about who you do it with. Why do you do it that way? And just recently, probably in the last couple of months, we've had workshops that talk about design and um, products, right? And so they're dissecting the products on both sides and the engineers are learning from each other. And they're talking about why they designed in such a way. And they're talking about synergies. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think whether it's something as big as a product that's eventually going to be manufactured and sold on the marketplace or it's something as simple as an HR process of hiring, right? Yeah. So we came together and we all of a sudden had to identify, okay, so how do we source? Where are we going to source from? What's different yesterday to today? Uh, all of those kind of workflow and decision-making processes had to be um, identified and then strategized and decided on. And there was power in those small conversations that have really, really impactful results. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. I mean, that's a big one. We're going all in because it almost sounds like we have to do this because otherwise this ain't going to work. Uh, you've got two different cultures coming together, mm-hmm. uh, international, two different, they're internationally different, right? Different countries, mm-hmm. cultures, uh, processes. I mean, wow. And so to, to get them to, uh, I'm sure, I'm, I'm assuming to establishing trust is really big in this moment because they don't really know you, you know, or, and they're like, Hey, how much truth do we need to be speaking here at this moment? <laughs> Your say do uh, ratio yeah. has to increase substantially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got, it's got to happen some way. So that, that, that's pretty interesting. You know, and I think about back to Nigel's interview and he, he coaches his uh, young daughter's soccer team. And I like to coach, I coach a lot of soccer for my, my daughter and whatnot. And I was like, well, Nigel, what, what advice do you have for me? And by the way, he actually just bought uh, the the O's, which is his childhood favorite soccer team in London, which I am not buying a soccer team uh, at this point. But not today. I, yeah, I was like, not today, maybe. Uh, and I was like, it was like, well, what's your bit of advice for me uh, to become a better soccer coach since you've been doing it for so long? And he's like, it's pretty simple. He's like, I don't have them call me coach. I was like, okay, what do you, he's like, he's like, anytime you put a title on something, you put up a barrier. And so, uh, he's like, I'm like, you have these little 10 year old boys and girls calling you Nigel. And he's like, absolutely. So I was like, man, that's, and I actually tried this with my team and only maybe 25% of them would actually do it. <laughs> so like, I guess maybe in the Southeast too, is a little more conservative on, on terms of how you know people naming coach versus sir ma'am whatever but uh anyway think about that yeah yeah and somewhere early in my career i stole this from someone but i loved it Um, people work with me they don't work for me 
And I think it's of such a distinction, right? I am certainly not the smartest person in the room. I love to surround myself with people who are tremendously different and smarter than me because it's the combination of those ideas. And it does not matter whether you are fresh out of university and it's your first job, or again, you have multiple years of experience. Everyone has credibility, right? And and just different ideas that provide value. And so hierarchy really needs to kind of be shot out the window in order to capture the best effort and the best value from all of our players. Like that. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I seem to always have twists and failures. Um, <laughs> I think we learn from them, right? That's it's, an entrepreneurial mindset that you're bringing right there. It's the ability to bounce back, right? So mm. failures are okay as long as you don't repeat the mistake again. Uh, actually, something that resonated with me from earlier in my career Mm-hmm. At a certain point, um, everyone knows a great place to work as an organization, right? So people participate in the survey mm-hmm. and everyone wants to know how engaged their workforce is, right? So I was responsible for our North American companies, 13 different companies who participated in um, the survey. And one of our brands, uh, I, was com- I was combining all the data analysis and I was ready to present. And so I sat down with the at that point, um, the president of Lehigh Terrison, and I was going through all the results. And lo and behold, about six or seven hours later, I discovered that the results that I had gathered together were not their results. So Ben, talk about <laughs> what? <laughs> so, oh my God, talk about like worst moment in time. And so I... Up until that point, like nothing this disastrous had happened to me. And so I went and I immediately found my boss and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, this is, this is really bad. And so my boss thankfully talked to me off the ledge and says, well, just pick up the phone and call them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really? Like, just own it. Like, just, it's okay. But I learned so much in that moment of mm-hmm. don't hide from it. Own the mistake immediately. What did you learn? What are you going to do so that it never happens again? And it truly, it was pivotal. Like I can actually kind of feel myself still early in my career, sitting in that seat, having that conversation, but it was, it was really powerful. And was that leader really upset and really mad? And had they already communicated some results? Absolutely. Right. Cause I was talking about their workforce. Um, and so <laughs> I had to rebuild trust and I had yeah. to rebuild credibility with that leader. And it took me a long time to do that. But again, being having somebody who coached me and gave me advice and and then understanding own it learn from it don't do it again really really important lesson yeah i love that and what an amazing learning experience and you even i mean it's just so funny i mean everyone is listening they can't see but there you actually had a visceral response when you're telling that story (laughs) but i mean that's how the most powerful lessons in life are um, where we experience them emotionally and physically, but that's ultimately 
Uh, and I believe this, those are the experiences where we can really help others the most. Mm -hmm. uh, as a mentor told me when I was going to do the executive coaching training and all that, he said, Ben, we all coach from our own wounds. And uh, that really hit me deeply uh, at the time. All right. So let's finish on a little bit of a different note here. That that was that was a cool story, though. Uh, so what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? A tool or gadget? Oh, I might be like really unsavvy when it comes to fun stuff. Oh, my goodness. It doesn't have to be fun. It, well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be like a brutal workout machine. Yeah, someone's like, so someone said recently, like, Ben, it's my tonal, like the workout thing that goes on the wall. I'm like, wow, that is brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, if we, it's something as simple as, uh, all right, so <laughs> mm -hmm. not techie at all, I will do walking meetings. All right. And so it is, you know, a, if you're standing next to the person, there's no eye contact. And so you're trying to engage in a dialogue. And sometimes that just frees the other person to share thoughts and ideas when they're not directly looking, you know, face to face. And so walking meetings are great that way. But I also encourage, especially during the pandemic, when everyone was home, I'm like, get out of your house. And I don't care if our meetings are go walk the dog. You can talk to me while you're walking the dog. Right. Absolutely. Uh we have to figure out what works for people and walking meetings has sometimes just allowed somebody to be a little bit more honest or free with their comments than they otherwise may have been in a sit down meeting. I love that. And I, and I'm a fan of the walking meeting, but I've, and I've not heard it sort of broken down and Hey, we're walking together and not having that eye contact might allow people to be a little more free. And also uh, there's all this research around how uh, meetings for people having the having their meetings standing up reduces yes. meeting time by thirty percent. So is there's something in there about changing the energy, changing the perspective, and I think that's a really underutilized tool uh, that people could be using to to change things up. So I'm glad you mentioned that today. So uh, here, here, Courtney, as we wrap up, what's your parting thought for listeners? Mm -hmm. This point in my career, I've worked with a whole host of organizations and cultures and, mm -hmm. and people. I think the best lesson I have and the advice I'd give is kindness. Mm. Is that you, each person, you have no idea what is going on in that person's life. Um, the five minutes before they came into a conversation with you or that year. And kindness goes such a long way. Um, and it's something that sometimes we don't even think about, but if someone leaves the conversation, and even if it's a tough conversation, right? If someone leaves the conversation knowing that you were treated with dignity and respect and it was, you were just kind, I think it's a great gift that we can give each other. What a great note to end on. You don't know what other people are truly going through. It could be the best day of their life or the worst day. And we're just getting a little sliver from our own experience with them. And uh, kindness first. Courtney, thanks for coming on the show today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.